It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Richard Bayless. Welcome to the Matchday Gagan Pod. Coming up, Group H in all its glory. Three clubs all on the same points going into the next week. We'll break it down for you. Dortmund are also going to be in the knockout stage regardless. So too Chelsea, who absolutely hammered Sevilla. We'll preview the Premier League coming up this weekend and ask whether Michael Bridges knows yet who Daryl Braithwaite is. Joining us as well, John Aloisi and Mark Schwartz are on the phone. Plenty to get through, as always. Yes, nice to have your company as always on the match day edition of the Gagan Pod. Joining us once again, Michael Bridges. How are you today, Michael? I'm absolutely tremendous, Richard. Plenty of goals this morning in the Champions League, and I loved it. I'm not as excited as Dave Weiner, mind, with Chelsea's <laughs> result. No, how are you feeling, Dave? Uh, outstanding. What a performance from Olivier Giroud. A joy to watch. I don't think I've ever seen you really get carried away with a result like you know jumping around the room you know shirt off not saying I necessarily want to but I haven't seen it I gotta confess I do find it when a objectivity and b when there's eight games going at once (laughs) it's a tailspin so I try to I try to make sure Chelsea does one of the eight maybe we should put a hidden camera in the room during Chelsea leads on the weekend Um, maybe one in yours one in mine and contrast the two reactions to it we'll get to that a little bit later on as we preview the games coming up on the weekend but let's chat Champions League and we'll bring Mark Schwartzer into the conversation because he was at Old Trafford for us once again to see Manchester United go down 3-1 to PSG meaning that Group H Schwartzy is so incredibly evenly poised what did you think of the game first of all was PSG worthy winners at 3-1 for you? Uh, I think they were you know what? I, I love the game I thought the game was the best game I've seen so far in the Champions League uh, this season um, where I've been live at the game um, I thought uh it was entertaining from start to finish. We it had a bit of everything. You know, I had some good goals. It had some really poor refereeing decisions. Um, and uh, we had enough goals to entertain ourselves. And I think, particularly the second half, it could have gone either way. United obviously missed a couple of really good chances there. Cavani almost scored against his old club. Uh, remarkable run. Uh, Martial missed the sitter. And then obviously... The game, you know, changes once uh, once once PSG score, but then also once Fred gets sent off for another terrible decision. Um, so yeah, no, listen, I, I really enjoyed the game. Well, let's go back to that first decision, Bridgie, if we shall, because, of course, Neymar put PSG up inside six minutes, started well, Mbappe looked up for it too, but then Fred appeared to have headbutted Leandro Paredes. And looking at the replays, referee goes over to VAR, and you think... Here we go. Similar to what Nicola Pepe did a couple of weeks ago against Leeds. Straight red, no complaints really. Yet out came the yellow card. And it seemed to be a real swing in momentum because United scored not too long after that to make it level. Are you as shocked as most people seem to be about the fact it wasn't a red card? There's a few things that I am shocked at regarding this decision, Rich. Um, one is that I agree with Mark Swartz's comment on the match day, which we never do, is the referee had an absolute shocker. The second one is... 
the fact that I never knew out of playing the game for so many years. A headbutt is not a red card now because it was such a thing as a head scrape, which is now a yellow card because you're able to scrape your head and forehead down the opposition player. And the other thing that really boiled my urine <laughs> them this morning is the way that the player went down in Paredes, how he stayed down, he rolled around, he was looking through his fingers to see what card Fred was going to get. There was only one thing I was happy with, and it was Neymar consoling Fred and being the rescuer and trying to say to the referee, you know, it wasn't justified if you're going to send him off. So I'd, it was just farcical. It was the wrong decision. He should have gone. I feel like if something's boiling your urine, that's a medical issue, but I understand what you mean. Dave, everybody online, I know you ran a poll on Optisports Socials as to whether or not people thought it was a red. I mean, most people are pretty much flabbergasted by the fact the referee actually ran over to the screen and came back with a yellow. Why go all, go all that way? I, I'm honestly a bit... I, I can't actually give you an answer that makes much sense or adds any value to the fact that if you, one of the guys in the room joked, is it a clear and obvious headbutt? I mean, if it looks like a headbutt, if it smells like a headbutt, if it sounds like a headbutt, isn't it a headbutt? I just no, don't Dave, understand. It's a, f- it's a head scrape. <laughs> so I can't give you anything logical. Uh, 60%, which I actually thought is on the light side of saying that it should have been a straight red card. The thing that when you can know it's an incident that just inflames a neutrals and those engaged alike is going through Twitter and just looking at the amount of comments, that ratio underneath. And it was in that thousands for the major sites across the planet wondering how they got away with it I saw a good one Varchester United that was a great one somebody put yeah that was (laughs) happening a fair bit (laughs) yeah Bridgie's up with the memes I feel like that one was around about two years ago but nice you've finally seen it (laughs) Schwartzy a lot of people uh, have already come out and said why did Solskjaer leave Fred on I mean Bridgie and and John Aloisi in the post game show or halftime show predicted ah Fred will be taken off on on, on Pogba or Vanderbeek or someone like that he wasn't taken off how do you think that's gone down in Manchester? Do you think that was just a plain and simple mistake from the United boss? Yeah, I think it was an experience. I think I uh, wouldn't be surprised if Sir Alex Ferguson's already sent him a message or met him in person and said, you messed up them, uh, young man. Uh, that was a horrendous decision. Um, you know, like, listen, if he, I, I get the game was evenly poised at 1-1, but you've got Donny van der Beek on the bench that you can make almost a like-for-like substitution. You know, I, I wouldn't have necessarily, I wouldn't have bought or on, but I would have definitely bought Donny Van der Beek on instead of Fred. Um, and that could have solved their problem. But, you know, I, I think he's, he's hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll learn from that. He's, he's got to take that as part of his responsibility. And then, you know, the referee, I mean, I don't, want to, I don't like pointing about a referee, but he, he literally, literally had a stinker. Um, but then, again, give him a second yellow for a challenge that was actually a really good tackle. Um, and, and okay, let's be honest, he should have been gone in the first half, but he wasn't. And then the referee goes on and makes another uh, stinker of a decision and does finally send him off, which ultimately swings the game again in favour of PSG. Um, and, that, and they took the chances. That's the other key. The key thing is they took their chances and the United didn't. Bridget, risk of getting hysterical because this was a really good even contest. As he said, uh, one of the most interesting he's seen um, this season live. And whoever misses out in this group, it's going to be the, by the thinnest of margins. So not a risk of getting hysterical going, what happens if United come third? I just want to ask about that decision not to sub Fred. Is that on its own? I'm not saying it's a reason. It's not a reason for him to lose his job. I'm not saying that. But is that a, just a sign of how we're going to just continue with Solskjaer? So long as he's there, you've got these highs and lows and highs and lows because moments like that are not getting nailed. 
Definitely, Dave, because what you're going to find, it's not the first time it's happened this season now. There was a question mark over Demba Ball's goal in the Champions League against them when they were, it was Man United's corner. The counter-attack came and nobody was marking from the back. So the players haven't recognised it for one. The staff haven't recognised it. It was schoolboy stuff. And when you see the bird's eye view, it's it's terrible. That was question mark number one. There's been results and can he inspire them? Can he give them a dressing down like Fergie did? Ollie's got his own management style. This today, however, every Man United fan, every sports pundit around the world has gone, you've got to take him off. It's a liability. Um, we showed Bielsa doing it with um, Pascal Stroik. Pascal Stroik when he got yellow card in the first nine minutes of the game against Aston Villa. 19 minutes, get him off. Bielsa was worried about that. This is so, so... Uh, it's, it's a little it's, bit... I think Swartzy nailed it with the word inexperienced. And you have to, by the same token... It's not inexperienced, though. It's, it's, well, it's a little cannot, naive. You cannot be a Manchester United manager in the Champions League and make these errors and see it and expect the players are not going to smell and lose faith in the dressing room because they're thinking, hang on a minute, we're going out to do a job. You, as a coaching team, have really hung us out to dry. You've hung Fred out to dry. Well, the players aren't stupid. I guess playing devil's advocate, you know, if you want Solskjaer to learn from these experiences, basically now he has no excuse. You wouldn't think he'd ever do it again. I mean, he'll learn the lesson you would suspect, probably the same with that corner and Demba Bar being one-on-one with Nemanja Matic and going through against Istanbul. But Shiksa here, you have to maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. If he does it again, come down at him like it's Other managers around the world and coaching staff are laughing at Man United this season because of their fundamental errors. That shouldn't happen in the elite game. Well, they don't have any room to move next week because of the fact that Leipzig beat Basiksa here 4-3 in an incredible result. Uh, Carvecci got a hat-trick for Basiksa here who looked as though they'd got a point from this one, but in the 92nd minute, Serlot popped up for Leipzig to get the points. And this means, Schwartzy, next week, Manchester United go to Leipzig. You've seen these two teams up close. You saw the 5-0 win for Manchester United a few weeks ago. You've seen them the last couple of weeks. What are you predicting in this? Do you think it's a different Leipzig back at home with a bit of confidence? It uh, feels like it's going to be tight. Yeah, no, it definitely is a different Leipzig. You know, when, when, we, when I was at the game, when they played at Old Trafford in the Champions League, got some 5-0. It was, you know, it was nil-nil. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was nil-nil when, when the double substitution occurred. They took Van der Beek off, who had a, had a bit of a sinker in that position in behind the front, uh, you know, the front line in, in Fernandez's position. Rashford came on, the game changed. On its head. Also, Zabitza, Marcel Zabitza, who's a big player for, for RB Leipzig, was coming back from injury, got substituted on as well, had a, had a bit of a nightmare, gave away a penalty, gave away the ball for one of the other goals. So the game did change a lot, and, and, and Leipzig were all over the place a little bit. That's changed. You know, they're, they're definitely a lot more organised, a lot more confident. Um, they've got players like Bermacano back. Kanate is back in the team. He's been injured for a long time. He is a very, very good centre-half. And two centre-half pairings, I'd have to say, is probably the most exciting uh, young players in the world football moment in centre-half positions. Um, so I, I do I do think it's going to be a very different game. And I actually, I've got a sneaky feeling Leipzig are going to win, win the game and United are going to get knocked out. 
Well, with Upamecano being linked to Manchester United and every other big team in the UK and Europe, you know, that could be the storyline, couldn't it? Obviously, with PSG at home to Bashiksa here, they're in a great position, top of the group. If they win, they're through. If they draw, they're a chance as well. Uh, you know, things are looking up for PSG all of a sudden. They are on the back foot, foot, weren't they, all of a sudden? You know, things change very, very quickly. Uh, Swarty, just a quick word from you before we let you go. Dortmund got through as well. The only team to get through this morning, actually, with a one-all draw against Lazio, but they don't have Erling Braut Haaland for a month. I feel like this will be a real test for them, won't it? Because he's been such a pivotal part of their success over the past 12 months. Can they do it without him, both domestically and, of course, in Europe? It's the big question. Listen, it's a massive hole of There's no doubt about it. I mean, Haaland's uh, goal-scoring record has been absolutely phenomenal since he's been at Dortmund. Um, only, only really just behind uh, Lewandowski. Um, and that takes some doing. You know, but they've still got an array of talent. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, whether it's Hazard, um, Royce, um, whether it's Sancho, you know, the movement they have up front, the ability to, 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 to you know, to, to rotate up front, um, I, think, I think they're more than capable of scoring goals without him. But obviously, once they do have him back on the side, that's going to be a massive boost. They're going to have to, you know, the great thing about it is once the Champions League restarts again, obviously, you know, they're through. Once it restarts again, Harling will be back and they'll be, they'll be blinding it. Schwartzy, before we let you go, how many times did you get mistaken for Thomas Tuchel tonight? Uh, actually, zero times, I have to be honest with you. Absolutely zero times. Um, a lot of people actually said I look better than him um, <laughs> in terms of my attire as well um, and said, don't worry about what the boys are saying about you in Australia. It's all lies. They're just jealous. And I have to agree with them. Nobody, nobody even recognised him as Mark Swartzer, so don't let that kid you. <laughs> I thought you looked very nice and, and, and rugged up because it looked absolutely freezing. But we appreciate your time, Schwartzy. We look forward to uh, speaking to you next time. See you, guys. Just quickly, uh, Leipzig play Bayern Munich this weekend. So I do wonder whether that's uh, going to help them or hinder them. It's huge at the top of the table of the Bundesliga. United go to West Ham. And before we move on, I just got to say, if you haven't seen the hat-trick in the Istanbul Basaksehir game, although they lost, oh my word, I haven't seen three goals from one player outside the box of that level. Incredible. Nagelsmann said he's got a lovely left leg and a lovely left foot. And he's on about that man you mentioned. I'm not going to try his name, Dave. Carvecci. And Nagelsmann had a lovely turtleneck on as well. He's really mixing it up on the uh, the European nights. But Love don't it. ask him about it, because in the couple of press conferences ago, he got down someone's throat. He said, I can wear what I want. Leave me alone. <laughs> Absolutely you can, but we're going to talk about it. Elsewhere in that group, by the way, Club Bruges beat Zenit, and that means next week, Lazio, they're in a good position, but if they lose at home to Club Bruges, they'll be out. They need a draw at least to go through to the knockout stages, but you'd back them in for that. There was a top-of-the-table matchup in Group E that actually would settle who will finish top, and it fell in favour of Chelsea. We've already hinted at it. They had a massive win, 4-0. Olivier Giroud with all four over Sevilla on the road as well. No small task, this Bridgie, and it was a perfect hat-trick too. You must, as a former striker, love seeing this. Yes, it w- and for a man of Giroud, what I, what I admire so much about him, he hasn't kicked up a stink about not playing. He, he would have had chats with the staff, but if they had had any... You know, if they'd been angered by his um, his motivation in training or they knew he was a bit of a bad egg, he would have gone. He hasn't. And I think Frank Lampard has realised how valuable he is. I, I, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would not be wanting him to get rid of Giroud because he's a very good plan B. And Giroud's got a... You know, he's got motivation because he wants to make that European team for France. So if he's getting game time and he's scoring four goals, his left foot goal, absolutely magnificent. The, the touch with his right 
top corner left foot, the little dink with his right foot, the perfect header. It would give him the perfect hat-trick and then the penalty. So for me, he is a striker. Now, Chelsea are in a great position now. They've got Werner, scores goals for fun. Tammy Abraham needs, a, I say, a kick up the backside. And Giroud has given him that um, because he's saying, I'm here, mate, and I'm taking your position. Chelsea are in great form, and I reckon they can go deep into the Champions League as well as push for the Premier League. Well, as we bring John Aloisi into the discussion on the podcast, that's actually what I'd like to ask you, John, because seemingly they have pretty much three players in every position, maybe not quite in the back four, but anywhere forward of midfield, they've got three options. Giroud, Abraham, Werner up top, the wingers, the midfield looks stacked with attacking players as well, mind you. Surely, having gone through the group so easily, they will finish top of Group E. They have a squad that can win the Champions League. Well, they have definitely got a squad to go uh, quite far in the Champions League. Win it, I'm not 100% sure if they're uh, good enough to beat the likes of Bayern Munich just yet. But, um, you know, Bridget spoke about he's a good plan B, Giroud. I think he might even be a plan A at the moment because I think that he's the man in form. He's shown whenever he's got the opportunity. He's scored goals uh, with France as well. He's the number one striker. And, you know, Werner can play on that left side and drift inside. And then on the right, you've got Ziyech. You've still got Pulisic that he started today. They've got some attacking power and pace. And uh, I think Giroud just makes it a little bit different because he's a focal point and he brings others into play as well. All those names have got me very excited, John. And, uh, and one thing, <laughs> one thing is, is Bridget, we were, we were discussing during the, during the uh, show this morning. As a Spurs fan, do you think if Giroud had come on maybe 20 minutes earlier in that nil all on the weekend, Chelsea may have won that game? I think he would have been a better and a better option and caused a lot more problems, yes. Yeah, so I wonder, I'd love to know from you guys, because you talk about options, they're great. Today, resting players, uh, Lampard got to play Hudson-Odoi, Havertz, Pulisic and Giroud. Now, we know Ziyech has been unbelievable. Werner is undroppable. But Pulisic is pretty close to first team too. Can I, can I just ask you both, if you had to play a grand final tomorrow or final cup final at Wembley, what front three would you play for Chelsea? Can Werner succeed in the middle given how good he's been on the left? I would literally get, it's like a game of Yahtzee, you know, where you get the five dice and you just throw them and you hope that you get them all on the same number and I would just go, you know what it is, I'd put numbers on them from the players <laughs> and it doesn't matter who you roll or what you get, you're going to get a good performance from them. Easy. You think that's what Lampard does, Bridget? You just get to yeah, see and start to choose numbers and go, oh, well, this, this one can play. Johnny, I'll be honest with you. Just go, go, Bridget. He, he must do something because I don't know how you can pick the best best like attacking five players out of that lot or the front three. It's just a great luxury to have, and that's why I think they're going to do very well in both competitions, if not win one of yeah. them. Yeah, it's a good headache to have, and he can rotate. There's plenty of games. We know that. He's probably the only one not complaining at the moment in terms of how many games, because his squad's fully fit. He's able to rotate them. They did have a little bit of a slower start because they didn't have a proper pre-season, but now they look like they're on fire. But I would go with Werner on the left, uh, Dave. I would go with Giroud up top and then Ziyech on the right. That's at the moment because then you can actually change the game with the likes of Pulisic and and others that can come in and and actually still uh, cause problems. But... There's a, it's a long season, so who knows who's going to be informed come final time. And again, it comes back to who you're playing against. You know, if Kante's in there in the midfield, or do they need Jorginho on the ball, or it was Kovac... Go on. Kovacevic in there. He's had a great game, so... Yeah, I'm not sure that's quite accurate, but yeah, it's a good point. Kovacevic. he was a great player as well. Obviously... 
Yeah, we'll, we'll move on from this. Uh, just try not to dig the hole any deeper, Michael. Next week, having having a game to spare is obviously huge for them as well. That's another opportunity to rest players after playing Leeds at the weekend, which we'll preview shortly. Elsewhere in this group, Krasnodar, the first Russian team to get a victory at all in Europe this season, will play in the Europa League. They had a 1-0 victory over Ren. In Group G, the heavyweights meet next week. Barcelona and Juventus, both of them had comfortable victories. Barcelona away in Hungary against Ferenc Varos, all too easy for them, 3-0 at the break, and they were in second gear after that, and Juventus a comfortable win over Dinamo Kiev as well. They've actually said they had a great game, the Hungarian team against <laughs> Barcelona. If you don't count the first half hour, I'd say that's pretty solid. <laughs> I got nothing. It was a cakewalk. What a, what a day to be in the front three for Barcelona. As easy first half as you'll get, to be honest. Yep, next week, of course, uh, hopefully we have Lionel Messi playing Cristiano Ronaldo, but I wonder will we get that, Johnny, because both teams are through. Juve, with a comfortable win over Barca, could actually finish top, but they're in a good position regardless. Do you think we'll see that battle of the superstars with the teams already through, or will we be you know, left hanging like we were in the first game? No, I think we'll see it. Koeman uh, did mention that uh, he was going to arrest uh, Messi for this game against uh, Ferenc Barros, and he said it's the last time he probably will be able to rest him because uh, try and tell Messi not to play against Juve, Juve mm-hmm. and also against Cristiano Ronaldo and try uh, uh, vice versa, Pirlo telling Ronaldo that you're not going to play against Barcelona. They'll both be on the starting 11 sheet and, uh, and they'll both want to get on the score sheet and show who is the best at the moment. Well, it was only the one team going through today. That was Dortmund. Manchester United had the chance. They weren't able. They're the only English club yet to go through. What drama awaits on match day six? Between now and then, we've got the Premier League this weekend. And let's start with the big one, shall we, Dave? The big game of the weekend. It's Burnley at home to Everton. I was just ready for my big roll in on Chelsea Leeds. And they've absolutely thrown me. Well, I thought he was going Tottenham Arsenal. (laughs) Sorry, we'll just work through them. I mean, obviously it starts. We did have a game penciled in for Saturday morning. Your old team, of course, Bridgie, Newcastle against Aston Villa won't be happening. What's the word from the northeast on this situation? I guess one of the shocks is that it's the first game postponed due to COVID, a training ground breakout. Is there a danger it'll happen again? And is there a concern that Newcastle won't be able to play for a few weeks? Well, it depends how many have actually contracted it, and obviously they're trying to find the source of it. But we're, you know, I've been in that training ground. They've got the canteen. You've got your analysis staff. You've got the ladies and the guys that are cleaning the kits. So it, you know, it and it's a small, smallish facility apart from the pitches, which are which are obviously a huge university grounds on their own ground. Wow, ran out of breath there. Um, so yeah, let's hope it is contained and it is. This could happen at any club, though, Rich. Mm. That's that's mm. the thing. This will be, I don't think this will be the last time we will see this um, in the Premier League this season because I think there'll be another outbreak at another ground. I'm sure a lot of people, not just in football in Europe and the UK, but also just in society generally, would have seen the news yesterday that a vaccine might be available as early as next week. And when it comes to football, you know, from a selfish point of view, you know, we saw people in the crowds this morning in the EFL for the first time, only a couple of thousand, but just that feeling of going to the football again and the idea that on the horizon we might be able to fill the great grounds such as, you know, Old Trafford and the Emirates and obviously Ellen Road as well. We don't want to get too carried away because obviously if there's teams that are that are getting it and catching it in-house and the games are getting postponed. Yeah, we want to see fans back, but we've got to make sure it is under control again because the fans come in. I mean, my mates could not believe the the stadium for the the Origin match. 
at the full house up in Brisbane, they they were like, "What what's going on over there in Australia? Like, Bridgie, is, is this real? I'm saying, yeah, we are, we are almost back to normal life, but we are doing things in the correct manner. Obviously, the university is going back in England. It's gone gangbuster, and it's going to it is going to affect football for the for a long period of time. So on Saturday night, obviously Burnley Everton kicks it off. Then Man City will be huge favourites to put a score past Fulham. Although Fulham had a great win, didn't they last week against Leicester? Against the odds, West Ham and Manchester United in the early hours, John promises to be fascinating because even though they lost midweek, Manchester United, such an amazing record in the Premier League away from home against the specialists in West Ham who love playing against the big teams and themselves go into the weekend in fifth. Yeah, West Ham have been in good form. I've been really impressed the way they played, and like you said, especially against the big teams. Yes, they lost to Liverpool 2-1, but they were good against Liverpool. Against Man City, they were good. We all remember that comeback against Spurs when they were 3-0 down. And uh, Moyes has got them playing good football. They're dangerous going forward. I like their balance in the midfield with Rice and Suchek. And uh, and look, yeah, they were a little bit lucky to get the win on the weekend. But that's what happens when you're, you're in good form and the results are going your way. Even when you're not playing your best, you seem to pick up points. And uh, tough game for Man United. But Man United, away from home, eight wins on the trot. And Solskjaer, when he gets questioned... Somehow, he finds a result from somewhere. So you expect Man United to pull something out of the hat again and, and probably get another win. I suspect if Leeds get a result, Bridgie, against Chelsea, it would be one of the biggest shocks of the weekend, potentially. I mean, I feel like this has to be a breathless game to watch, but it could be just about anything. You cannot predict the score. And anybody that gets it correct, good on you. All the best, because... The games that Leeds have been involved in against Manchester City, against Liverpool and against Chelsea, I'm going to call it, it's going to be a classic. It's going to be open game. Both teams love to attack and I've just got to admire it for what it is. Now, Leeds, yes, are going at this as massive underdogs. We are the promoted team in the Premier League. But I'll tell you what, we have shocked a lot of teams. Leeds have shown their their class with the ball, their class without the ball. Bielsa, absolute genius. And he wants to get one over in Frank Lampard because Lamps was the one that mm. said, you're Mr. Spygate. <laughs> yeah, funny old uh, circumstance, wasn't it? A couple of seasons ago, for those of you that don't remember it, I'm sure Leeds fans certainly will. You know, a Leeds employee, if you like, it was like a junior, I suppose, was caught watching a Derby training uh, session. He did get caught with pliers and knives that, and things that he was trying to cut the fence with, that's, allegedly. That's incorrect. Allegedly. That's incorrect. I'm just trying to add arms and legs to the story. Well, plenty of people did. And the the amazing thing is that Derby play in front of everybody. It's like a lot of the A-League clubs in Australia, if you guys have been down to watch them train, you can just walk up and watch yeah. it. And sometimes they'll try to say, no, don't come in. Derby were training in front of an open road. Anyway, whatever. It became a big thing. Derby ended up knocking Leeds out in the playoffs dramatically and Lampard absolutely threw it in Leeds fans' faces. And if there were fans here, it would be pretty spicy. Sadly, there aren't. From a Leeds fan perspective, I suspect, Dave, the last two results, a couple of clean sheets, one against Arsenal, one against Everton, four points out of the two, will make Leeds pretty relaxed about this. I don't think they'll see it as anything other than a free swing. How are Chelsea fans feeling about it, do you think? No, I, I think it's an incredible uh, test coming for Chelsea and Frank Lampard. You, we know Leeds have created the most chances of the competition this season. I know Chelsea's defence has been impeccable in recent weeks, but I just think this is the perfect test. I think, I'd love to know, Bridget, do you think it'll be a breathless game? Or, because what Lampard's done when he's been a little bit worried, he's been a little bit worried about Tottenham, been a little bit worried about United early in the season, he actually has pulled the reins a little bit. And I wonder whether he will do that here, because otherwise, 
I think what you said about Leeds taking to the big guns is true. I, I expect nothing less on Sunday morning. Bielsa won't change his way. I think this game, however, Leeds expansive. There's a lot more gaps in the transition moments when Chelsea will win the ball. They couldn't break down Mourinho and Tottenham Hotspur. Mourinho had him, yeah, you throw everything at us. Yeah, come on. And Lampard didn't like it. The players didn't like it. They're going up against a different team that are very, very open. I think it'll suit Chelsea. It'll suit Leeds, no, no doubt about it. But it will suit Chelsea. And Chelsea should win this. They've rested players. They've got a lot more players at their disposal. Leeds don't have that luxury. And I will say Chelsea will win. That really hurts me. Yeah, and me too. But if you guys are out there either a neutral or a fan of either, it's on at an amazing time on Sunday morning. Set the alarm, get up or watch it on demand because at 7 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, perfect time to be entertained. Then on Sunday night, uh, four games as well, West Brom, Crystal Palace before Sheffield United trying still to get that first win at home to Leicester. Then it's the big one, John. North London derby. I suspect a lot of Spurs fans kind of got their hearts in their mouths at the moment because Harry Kane is not playing in the Europa League. It could be precautionary but so much hinges on him being fit throughout the whole season, which he hasn't been for quite a while. Would you be worried, do you think, heading into this game? Well, if he's not fit and he doesn't play, I would be a little bit worried because uh, he's such an integral part to that team and the way he plays, and, and plus he's a leader. He's just an all-round player uh, for Spurs, and, and Mourinho's found the perfect formula to, to get it clicking and get it working along with Son. Um, so a little bit worried that maybe Mourinho's uh, playing a few mind games with uh, with Arsenal and Arteta and saying, you know what, uh, he's not going to play. And then he pulls him out of the, the hat and plays him and uh, and then he destroys Arsenal. So, look, it's, it's, it's a game that you expect Spurs to win because of the form they're in and the confidence they've got. But this could actually kickstart Arsenal's season. I know when you're on a, a bad trot, sometimes you need that derby feeling. You need that local derby that gets you going. And uh, maybe for Aubameyang, he will start to score goals again. Dave, this game is an amazing opportunity for Arsenal to put it right, what they haven't done the last few weeks. you know. And against a, a rival in a derby, maybe that will give them the motivation to do it. But if it shows the gap between the two, if they get thoroughly outplayed, comfortably beaten, I wonder will the calls for Arteta to not be given time, which I think all Arsenal fans want him to get, and also neutrals because you know they like maybe seeing Arsenal not get the results. But surely the pressure just has to lift by default. It will. I think. I think the pressure on Arteta to change might lift. I don't think you can sack him. You you know you're in the long game with him. I I just think it's not on the cards. But I can't see Arteta and Arsenal breaking down this Tottenham team. I just can't see it. In which case, not only do you have the gap, you have Mourinho with the glint in his eye, able to get one back over a rival he's had at all three Premier League clubs he's coached at. Bridget, do you think Arsenal in their current form are good enough to score against Spurs? I'm not sure they are. Not in the current form, but do they have the players to do it? Yes, Absolutely. they do. That's Absolutely. A, it's a completely different question. And I, I think there's no better time for Tottenham to play Arsenal and prove... The, uh, the the gap, should we say, in the league that and how how dominant they are under Mourinho as opposed to Arteta. Yes, Arteta changed the culture, he's changed the style of play. My big question was, how do you handle the egos in that dressing room and going forward? We've already few. He's had the issue with Özil. He's had the issue with Pepe, and uh, I just think that Tottenham should win this uh, hands down. And John, as a coach, like how hard is the challenge now for Mikel Arteta? Because he's got all this white noise, everyone telling him, you know, the players have to express themselves. What are you doing with Ozil? What are you doing with Aubameyang on the left? You're too structured. How hard is this moment for him where he has to 
in his first major challenge as a young manager, he has to go, do I stick stubbornly or do I just adjust a little bit? Well, this is the challenge of every manager and the ones that have been around long enough, uh, they usually, the ones that have been able to get through it and, you know, Mourinho would have had it in his time, uh, you know, Hepco the has had it in his time, he's going through it now and, uh, yeah, look, he might have to tinker it a little bit and uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying too much, I'm just saying because he can't go away from the way he believes football should be played, the way he believes that he should be coaching but sometimes you just need that little change just to give him that bit of a spark and, uh, they definitely need it, and uh, Aubameyang is the main one. You have to get him firing on all cylinders. They tried playing him centrally last week. It didn't work. He looked out of the game. He looked out of sorts. He doesn't look happy. Now, whether that's got something to do with the way Arteta is getting him to play, I'm not sure, but at the moment, they're not a happy camp. John, Arteta's style, I think, is fantastic. I mean, there was 50-odd passes per chance was the stats, which is, it's you know, you want more chances when you've got that kind of possession, but the players have got to be accountable. Obama Young, yep. ever since he signed his contract, he hasn't been performing, he hasn't been getting the goals. Pepe hasn't come in with them. Lacazette's gone AWOL, so it's, they've got to take some accountability because he is a, he's a, a manager and a coach that he plays the game the way we want to watch it. Yeah, I agree with you, Bridget. Look, I think there's a uh, there's an issue with uh, Arsenal that's been there for a few years. I think it's easy to blame the manager. I think the manager needs time to actually change the culture. We, we, we start, you're, you're talking about changing the culture. I still don't think the culture's changed yet. I still think that's an easy cop-out to blame the manager and blame what he's trying to do. Um, but, you know, the players do need to stand up. And if they don't, get rid of them. And, and, and don't even think twice about it. And at the moment, I still think there's an issue there with Pepe. There's talk about him leaving. Get rid of him. If he's not the one for you... Uh, I think that he has to start making a massive stance in that sense. Yeah, I think Pepe will be on his way out. I don't think he'll be there for too much longer. And they will definitely not get what they paid for him back into the club, no doubt about that. This game is before Liverpool at home to Wolves. And all the talk before this one could be dominated more about who won't be there. No Allison for Liverpool. The question, though, can Wolves take advantage of that given that Raul Jimenez won't be there? I wonder, John, just on this one, Will we see a totally different Wolves here? Because Jimenez has been the man up front for them. They sort of play everything through him. He's a bit of a target. Now they've got maybe Fabio Silva, but they've got guys like Neto and Podence who are super dangerous. And they were pretty good after Jimenez went off against Arsenal. Yeah, they were good. And Fabio Silva, even though he's young and cost a lot of money, he's only 18, hasn't really played a lot of football. He's showed good signs. And I think for you know one, two, three games, he'll be able to perform. Um, but, you know, they'll still look to the, the, the likes of Potence and uh, Pedro Neto and, and also uh, Traore on the right. You know, he, he'll show his pace. And uh, I think they'll still try and sit off, make it hard for Liverpool to break them down and then try and catch them on the counter-attack. And we all know that Wolves can do that really well. Do you guys, Dave and Bridgie, sense an upset here? Wolves have been in good form, a little bit under the radar. Liverpool, we know their struggles in terms of injuries, but they've been getting results most of the time. Do you sense maybe the Reds might have an issue at home? And this is a huge test, a huge test, robust test. I think the, the Jimenez thing means that, or well, the Jimenez really unfortunate injury means that Wolves have their own questions to answer, but I think this is a huge examination for Liverpool, and they're going to keep coming. But this one, they're, they're good form Wolves. I love the way you change your voice there. Put a bit of drama in it. You went really like, oh, this could be like a movie, you know? Yeah, a bit of gravel. Oh, wow. No, it's at home. Liverpool at Anfield. No chance. Home win. All right. Yep, you just... They have it, have it, Dave. Cop that. 
I've just put the spoiler on it. There you go. <laughs> uh, before we uh, move on and uh, wrap it up for another week on the Gagan Pod, let's not forget the final game we Tuesday morning. What's that? We, we didn't do Burnley Everton. We started it, then we moved on. Yeah, no, we mentioned it enough. Uh, we mentioned it enough. No, we'll be on air actually 90 minutes before Burnley and Everton at 10 p.m. Saturday night. We'll talk about all the games and everything else that's happened all through the week. So if you're not a Burnley fan or an Everton fan, your Saturday night's still with us if you like. So please join. On Tuesday morning, it all wraps up. Brighton at home to Southampton. Very good time as well. Again, it's that breakfast time slot on Tuesday to see a South Coast derby, which should be really interesting. Both teams starting to play some good football. Southampton, arguably the surprise packets of the season so far. Yesterday on the pod, the surprise was potentially that Michael Bridges had absolutely no idea who Daryl Braithwaite was. But you've gone away. You've done your research. Now you know who he is, and you know how big he is in Australia. And I do, and I, I actually swore on television this morning when we were broadcasting, I said, yes, he's a bloody good magician because I've been looking and... No, he's a musician, musician. not a magician. Well, <laughs> whatever he is, he's bloody good. <laughs> and you know what it is? I've just, I've just found out last night after we talked about it um, on the podcast yesterday as well when you were giving me grief... The, the new team I'm head coach of, the Edgeworth Eagles, we've got an owner in Warren Mills, and he rang me up, he said, we've got to sort a few things out, and I thought, oh, here's a new contract coming after, you know, <laughs> only week one. He said, I had him sing at my 60th birthday last year, you better learn his music, because if not, you won't be here very long, so there you go. Well, he'll be ringing up now that he knows that Bridgie picks his team using Wahoo or Yazoo, whatever the game is that you said a bit earlier. <laughs> There's nothing quite like a 60th birthday party where Daryl Braithwaite is there to perform horses on repeat. Well, now I know my owner's got more money than he's given me for the players. If he can afford to get Daryl Braithwaite down for a private function, Millsy, get your money out. <laughs> 100%. We're just about out of time on the Gagan Potter. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you guys with us over the past two days. Uh, John, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, we'll see you Saturday night. Looking forward to it. Uh, Bridgie, always good fun. And Dave Weiner, our sports editor, great to have on. Between now and next week's edition of the Gagan Pod, which promises to be a belter because of what's at stake in both the Premier League at the weekend and, of course, the Champions League on match day six. Between now and then, enjoy your football. John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from 2006? People want more, and to, to replicate that, we need to get through the group stages and go even further, so then we're creating history. Hi, I'm Richard Bayless from Optus Sport. Coming soon, our special limited series, Football Belongs, nine matches that explain Australia. Here's a taste of what's to come. I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment. Now we are underway in Stuttgart. How incredible is this sport that on this one stage it can tell such a powerful, unique, incredible story. Its potential, where it could go if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others, are just so much about football says so much about Australia and vice versa. The amount of people dancing on the street at Federation Square going off and, and you know, just the people uh, having fun. We realised then that actually this could unite a country. The hospitality, the friendliness, the sense of community and all of that, that all comes back to football. It's a community and, you know, parts of Australia, white Australia, there, there's, there, there never has been a community. It's completely lacking. 
And I think that's when we'll see that we are changing people's opinion that we're not just a, a, a you know a sport that you know yes it's well liked here in Australia but it's not the number one sport. Until then, I don't know if we are going to replicate that. We can't wait to launch Football Belongs and hope you enjoy it. First episode drops December 4th.